How you guys going? Now, picture up on the screen. There it is. A couple years ago, uh, this picture and a few pictures like it made it into the news. Can anyone remember these pictures at all? Put your hand up if you do. A couple of you do. Cool. Uh, what these pictures show is an untouched tribe of um, South American Indians. Uh, these guys have never met people from the outside world. They live in the rainforest, they never leave, and that's pretty much their lives. And you can see in this picture that they're freaked out because there's this plane flying overhead, so they're like trying to shoot it down with their bow and arrows, which is pretty fun. I like to kind of sometimes sit around and imagine fun items that you could kind of drop into their village just to make things pretty interesting. Who's, who can think of something fun that would be just to like drop it out of a plane? What would you do? A water bomb. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's my one. Drop an iPhone fully charged in there and they're just going, what the heck is this? Yeah, an iPhone would be good. What else? Anyone else got something good? Yeah, bop it. That would be insane. (laughs) I don't reckon bop it would last five minutes before they were just hacking it up, I reckon. (laughs) Get, Get whatever's inside of there out of it. Yeah, they'd be freaking them out. All right. A trampoline would be hectic as well. That's a good call. That's got to be our last one. Now... On the surface, like we've just had a little bit of fun, on some levels it is just a little bit of fun. But if you're a Christian and you think about these things a little bit more, you'll actually find that this kind of stuff probably raises some questions for you. Because the Bible says very clearly that unless someone hears about Jesus, they will not be saved. The only way to be saved from sin is by hearing about Jesus. And here we are with like a whole community of people living in the middle of Amazon, of the Amazon, who's never had any contact with a Bible or anything to do with Jesus. And I reckon it raises a question for people. Is God being unfair? Is God being unfair? What about the people who never have a chance to hear about Jesus? Like, is God just some kind of an intergalactic bully, some kind of a jerk who just sends people to hell for no reason, even though they didn't ever have a chance to hear about Jesus in the first place? Now, this question of, is God being unfair, it matters for at least two reasons. First of all, it matters because it will shape how you think about God. Is God actually a loving God? Is God a just God? Is he good? And secondly, it's going to shape how you think about evangelism, how you think about telling other people about Jesus. Because if if God isn't going to judge people who haven't heard about Jesus, if they're sweet and they're let off the hook, then really we don't need to tell people about Jesus, do we? All we've got to make sure is just that, that they're ignorant of everything and then they'll be fine. And so these are big questions regarding what about those who haven't heard, right? Big questions. And this passage that we're looking tonight deals with those questions. But there's some heavy stuff, there's some hard to understand stuff, and there's some good stuff in this passage. So I'm going to pray that God would help us understand what the Bible says tonight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you do speak to us in your word. Thank you that you've already spoken to us as as we've opened up your word and looked at it together. And Lord, I pray now that you'd help us to understand it even better. Lord, I pray that you challenge us by the things here in your word. Please give us 
Lord, hearts that are soft and ready to hear what you have to say. Please help us to put aside our preconceptions and and be humble enough to let you tell us who you are. Amen. All right. Now, the first verse in those verses that we read, verse 18, says something pretty hectic straight off the bat. If you caught it, it said that God's wrath, God's anger, is being revealed against everyone who does evil in the world. Everyone who does the wrong thing by covering up the truth about God. Now, this whole talk's pretty much going to explain what that means. But before we go any further, I want you guys to catch one thing real quick. And here it is. God gets angry. God gets angry. Now, a whole bunch of people, maybe you yourself, will say things like this. They'll say, hang on, God is love. God's a nice guy, and so he can't get angry. Now, people who say that are half right. They're right that God is love. God is full of love. But that's not all there is to God because God also does get angry. He's a God who judges sin. And so you've got to get that under your belt before you go any further. God does get angry. Now let's move on and look at this passage. Here's the first, thing that, here's the first big thing that verses kind of 18 through to 20 show us. And here's what it is. Everyone in the world has an opportunity to hear about God. Everyone in the world has an opportunity to know God. From verse 19, it says that there are some things that every single person in the world can see. It's plain to everyone for them to see it. That's what verse 19 says. Check out verse 20. It's going to tell us what everyone in the world can know about God. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And so here's the things that every single person in the world can know about God. They can know about his eternal power. Now, eternal power sounds fancy, but it just means his power that goes on forever. It lasts forever. He's powerful forever. And secondly, they can know about his divine nature. Now, if you're divine, that just means you're God. So really what that's saying is you can know about God's godness. You can know that he's God. Now, you guys might be like, okay, so everyone in the world can know that God's God and that he's powerful. How's that the case? Because if you think about your own life, you're probably like, well, I learn about God through, I don't know, going to EV Kids when I was little or coming to EV Youth or going to Flipside or Scripture or your parents told you or somewhere along the lines, your parents, if you, if you know about God, you probably heard about it somewhere along the line from someone. And you're like, well, how does these lost tribes in the Amazon, how can they know about God in this way? Well, the answer's there in verse 20. God's invisible qualities, all those things we just saw, can be seen and understood How? How? Through what? Verse 20. Through what? What was that? No. It's right there in verse 20. Through what has been created. From what? There you go. From what has been made. Through what has been made. Through what has been created by God. Creation, the existence of this world and us in it and everything around you, points to the fact that there's a creator. 
The fact that this world exists screams out to us that there is a God. The existence of, as, of us as humans points to the fact that there's a God. We're incredible. I don't know if you guys have ever studied anatomy or anything to do with humans, but we're amazing. Just the human eye is ridiculous. Just everything about us is absolutely incredible. And it points to the fact that someone even greater than us made us. The, the beauty that we see in this creation, the world around us, mountains and rivers and, I don't know, everything else out there in the world points to the fact that there's a God who made it. The fact that we, our planet is in a place where we're not too close to the sun so that we burn up or too far away so that we freeze points to the fact that there's a God who provides for us. The fact that we have water in this world to drink and plants and animals to eat. All these things scream out that there's a God, an intentional God, who made us on purpose. And anyone who suggests that it's all just an accident, according to the Bible, is wrong. Creation points to the fact that there's a creator. See, imagine like walking down the street, right? And I don't know why people leaving their pottery out, but you're walking down the street and you find like a sweet piece of pottery and it's all there and it's made into a pot and it looks nice, it looks just like that. And you're like, damn, that's a pretty cool pottery thing. I don't know much about pottery. And you see it and you go, that's great. Man, what a freak of nature. That dirt and water and stuff dried in a really weird way. It's like got a little pattern to it and stuff. That's quite bizarre. And it seems to have been heated so that it stays like that. What a freak of nature accident. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's, I've never seen any dirt and water just dry like that before. That's the most freaky coincidence I've ever seen. That would be a stupid thing to say about a piece of pottery, wouldn't it? You'd look at it and you go, oh, a potter made it. Someone's created it. They've shaped it. They've put little holes in it. I don't know how to make pottery. But the point is someone was responsible for it and they made it. Guys, that's our world. That's our world. When people see creation, they're meant to go, okay, creation, the world as we know it, there must be a creator. Someone much bigger than me did this. He must be powerful. He must be God. And so verse 21 in the passage in front of you says that all people can have a knowledge of God through creation. They may not know everything there is to know about God, but they can know something. So here's the big thing that verses 18 to 20, the first point of this talk, shows us. And it's this, that everyone in the world has an opportunity to know God. But here's the second thing. Everyone in the world fails to respond rightly to that God. So the problem with humans is that we're stuff-ups. <laughs> we mess up all the time and we don't treat God as God. Despite what we know about him, despite what's so obvious to see right in front of us, we don't treat God like God. Check out verse 21. Here's what we do instead. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Just got to grab a drink. We don't treat God as God. And that's at the very heart of what 
sin is. Now, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard us talking about sin and we talk about it all the time. I reckon people think that sin is kind of like doing naughty stuff. It's murdering and stealing and swearing and doing all those things to each other that God doesn't like. Now, that's true. Those things are sin. In some ways, they're like a symptom of sin. But at the heart of what sin is, it's to do with how you treat God. Sin is ignoring God, not treating him as God, not thanking him for what he's done in the world, not giving him the word the passage uses, is not giving him glory for being who he is, not giving him credit. And so here's the point that Paul, the author of this passage, is talking about. Everyone can know that God is the creator. Everyone can know that God is powerful, but they refuse to, to treat him rightly as God, and so they're sinning. So here's what it should be like. Imagine you come home from school, you're late, I don't know, well, you, you know, you come home late, and on the table there's like a beautiful plate of food all cooked up from you. Imagine whatever it is that you like to eat, and your mum's cooked it for you, and it's sitting there on the table, and you, you see that, right? What you should hopefully do if you see a plate of food like that cooked for you by your mum is you'll see it and you'll go, oh, yeah, plate of food. My mum must have cooked that. Sweet. Thanks heaps, mum. It's pretty simple logic, yeah? Plates of food don't happen on their own. These things don't happen by an accident. You see it and you go, plate of food, sweet, mum made it. Thanks heaps, mum. When people see creation, here's how it's meant to go down. They're meant to go, creation, oh, creator God made it. Thank you, creator God, for what you've done. That's not what we do. That's not what people do. They don't treat God as God. They don't thank him and praise him for what he's done. And so instead, this passage actually says that they treat other things as God. We treat idols as God instead. Things that aren't God, fake gods as God. Verse 23 says, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal real God for images, for fakes, made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. See, we don't like the idea as humans, we don't like the idea of a God who's bigger and better and more incredible than us ruling over us. And so what humanity does time and time again is we, we call other things God that we can kind of handle. So, so. Throughout history, people have taken images of men and said, oh, that must be what God is like. They've taken images of birds and animals and said, that's what God is like. And we'll treat all sorts of things as God, anything except God himself. More lately, it's become popular in our world, for the first time in the history of the world, actually, you guys should know that, to say that in actual fact, there is no God. All of this is a big accident. We're the first society in the history of our world to make that conclusion about our world, but that's where we've gone. Now, we say things like it was a big bang, just a fluke, and then it, that's just what it is. That's how we came to it. Now, I don't care if there's a big, big bang or not. It probably was for all I know. But surely, behind all of that, there's a God who stands behind everything that brought about our creation to be what it is. But in our sin... We won't admit the obvious. We won't admit that there's a God and we won't thank him for what he's done. And so here's Paul's point, verses 18 to 23. Everyone 
does not have an excuse for the fact that they can know God. So no one has an excuse for not treating God right because everyone has an opportunity to know him and we don't, we ignore him. And so there's no excuses. Everyone sins and doesn't treat God right. And so for those people in the Amazon who've never had contact with the outside world, they're not guilty of rejecting Jesus. They're not guilty of failing to obey the way God wants them to live in the Bible. They haven't done those things wrong. God doesn't hold them accountable for what they don't know. But just like us, they're still guilty of failing to respond rightly to their creator. And so they still sin, just like we do, even though we know a lot more about God. <clears throat> yeah, just kill me. Let's get a drink again. I'll give you as an illustration of what this is like, comparing us and people in the middle of the Amazon or whatever, right? <clears throat> Imagine you've got like a teacher and this teacher teaches two classes throughout a term, right? And so one of these classes, he teaches like three simple things to for a whole year and the class is a terrible class. They don't listen to anything he says, they ignore the teacher. So this teacher has one class, teaches them three things. He has another class, he teaches them ten things throughout the whole year but the class still ignores him, they're still a really bad class. At the end of the year, he, he, it's time to have a test, right? And they haven't learned a single thing. They don't know any answers. And so both classes sit this test. One class gets three from three of the questions they get asked wrong. They don't get it right. The other class, they got taught ten things. They get ten from ten of the questions wrong. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter that the teacher taught the class one class three things and one class ten things because they all fail no matter how many questions they get asked. They get it all wrong. They don't know anything And so based on what they were taught, both classes deserve to fail. Whether they know a lot or a little, they deserve a fail. That's what's going on here in this passage. Yes, it's true that people who don't have the Bible or haven't heard about Jesus have been taught less about God than us here as we sit with Bibles open in front of us and hear about Jesus. They, they know less about God. But in the end, every single person in the world knows enough to deserve a fail still. Because we're all sinners and as individuals, whether we know a lot or a little, we reject our creator. And so because of that, verse 18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed. The anger of God is being revealed. And so here's what all of this means for us, right? Here's the application of this stuff. I'm going to finish with three applications. And the first one is to tie up that question we asked at the start. What's the deal with those lost tribes in the Amazon? Well, you heard me say it before. Everyone doesn't have an excuse. And so, will people who've never heard about Jesus be sent to hell because they didn't hear about Jesus? No. No. They won't. God won't judge them on what they don't know. Will people who didn't hear about Jesus end up in hell because they've sinned? Yes. 
So the people in the lost tribes in the Amazon are lost. But the reason they're lost is because of their sin, not because they missed some opportunity. And so here's the point. God will judge people according to what they know, not what they don't know. And so the Western atheist in this world is in just as much trouble as some people in the lost tribes in the Amazon. The guy who sits next to you in math is in just as much trouble as the lost tribes in the Amazon. If they haven't heard about Jesus, then they're lost because they're sinners. Now, guys, um, if you're still struggling to think about how this is fair and get your head around this, I would almost guarantee the reason you don't quite get it yet, or if you're still struggling with this, you will struggle with this question of, is God being unfair here? Because you haven't understood grace well enough, or you haven't understood sin properly. Those two things will make you really struggle with this question. As a sinner who deserves God's judgment, none of us deserve to be saved. I'll give you one more example on how to think this stuff through, right? Like, <clears throat> imagine all of us here were really stupid and really bad, and we decided, hey, you know what would be a sweet idea? Let's lock this room up together and burn it down together and die burning ourselves. That will be a sick idea, right? And we, some bad th- thought processes got us to that point. But, right, we make that decision together, and we think, that's a great idea, let's do that. And so we form a plan, and we do it. We start to burn this building down together because that's what we want to do, and we think it's a good idea. Now, If a fireman finds out what's going on and comes to attempt to rescue us, do any of us deserve to be saved from that fire? Does that fireman owe it to us to save us after we make those decisions? No, he doesn't. If he saves none of us, well, that's sad, but men, we deserve what we get for the things that we've done, the silly choices and the bad things we've decided to do together. If he saved 50 of us, uh, I should say the building starts to burn and we're like, actually, I don't like this, please save us. And so we want out, right? If he saves 50 50 of us and not the rest, is that unfair? No, it's not unfair. None of us deserve to be saved. And so if he saves 50 of us, well, that's amazing. But all of us don't deserve to be saved. Guys, that God saves any sinner is just mind-blowing. It's incredible that God would save any of us because none of us deserve it. And so if there are some people in the world who never have a chance to hear about Jesus, that's sad. That is sad. That's a terrible thing. But it's not unfair of God. God is good and that he offers Jesus to save anyone is more than he owes us. And so don't blame God that he's saving some and not others when none of us deserve to be saved. That's how we process the idea of the lost tribes in the Amazon or whatever. Secondly, guys, I'm on the home run now. Here's the second thing this stuff means. Telling people about Jesus matters a lot. It matters a lot. There is nothing more important in the entire world than that a person hears about Jesus. We need to tell Muslims in Iran about Jesus. We need to tell the lost tribes in the Amazon about Jesus. We need to tell the students at Terrigal High about Jesus. We need to tell the students at Greenpoint Christian College about Jesus. 
Guys, the gospel, if it really is the power to save anyone who believes, is the most important thing anyone can hear. Because if you do not hear the good news about Jesus, then you are lost. You have no hope at all. And so can you see how important it is that we tell people about Jesus? Guys, spend the rest of your lives telling people about Jesus. I pray that one day hundreds of people from EV Youth will leave the Central Coast and go all over the world to places where no one has heard about Jesus to tell them about Jesus. I pray that hundreds of people from EV Youth will stay on the Central Coast and tell the rest of the Central Coast in Australia about Jesus because 95% of people in Australia don't know about Jesus. Guys, I pray that right now you would be dreaming about what you're going to do with your life and how you're going to use your life to tell as many people who will listen about Jesus. And finally, guys, I'm praying that right now, as you live your lives now, you would be telling people about Jesus. That you'd tell your mate who you sit next to in math about Jesus. That you'd tell your friend who you play soccer with about Jesus. That you'd tell that random guy at work who's a bit strange about Jesus. Tell anyone who will listen about Jesus. Because there's nothing that matters more than hearing about him. So guys, understand the reality of the world. Understand how badly people need to hear about Jesus. Here's the third thing that this passage does for us. You need to hear about Jesus. You need to make sure that you've put your trust in Jesus and you've asked God for forgiveness. Last week, if you were here, we looked in verses 16 and 17, just a couple of verses back, about the fact that in the gospel, in the good news about Jesus, a righteousness from God is revealed. Now, what that means in really simple terms is that because of Jesus who died on the cross, God offers us Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' track record before him. And so we're all sinners, we've all stuffed up, but the Bible says that Jesus offers us his track record. The offer is if we just trust him, he wipes away our sin and says, you know what, you can have the goodness, the, the clean slate that Jesus earned instead, and it becomes yours. And so you're right with God, even though you're a stuff up, even though you're a sinner, even though you have done the wrong thing, you can be perfectly right with God, not by being good and earning it off and doing whatever, just trusting Jesus that is amazing and so guys I know there's a bunch of you here tonight who aren't Christians who aren't trusting in Jesus and for you guys I'm sure you have heaps of questions and there's heaps of stuff you're not quite sure of and maybe you're still like I don't know what the deal is with the lost tribes in the Amazon and you've got a million questions and that's fine but before you worry too much about the rest of the world and every other little question you might have about this stuff, worry about yourselves. One day, God will judge all people according to what they know, and we all know enough to be guilty. And so, guys, if you're not a Christian, but you know you need saving, put your trust in Jesus tonight. There's nothing magical about becoming a Christian It's just as simple as telling God that you're trusting him and you want him to save you because you know you can't save yourself. 
That's all becoming a Christian is. Good question to ask yourself right now is what's stopping you from becoming a Christian if you're not one? What would stop you? What's standing in your way? Unless you've got a really good answer to that question, I suggest you put your trust in Jesus tonight. I'm going to pray. If you want to become a Christian, um, then just pray with me in your head. Repeat the things that I'm saying in your heart and tell God you want to trust him. I'm just going to have a drink first, though. (coughs) It's a pretty simple thing, but it's also the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we're sorry for our sin and the way we don't treat you as God. Thank you for Jesus who died to save us. Please give me Jesus' clean track record. Help me to live with you as my king. Amen.